Hey guys, my name is Chris, one of the pastors here. I want to welcome you guys. Say good morning. It's fun to be with you guys this morning. And uh, uh, I don't know about you guys, but I am still celebrating the fact that last weekend we got to baptize 60 people from our very own church. Was that not an awesome, massive, fun Jesus party? And that is good, and that is God honoring, and that is to be celebrated. I'm excited to be back in this room, uh, seeing so many of you guys that might have been uh, on vacation or kind of away. It's fun to see this room fill up with people that are checking back in. And so this morning, I want to let you guys know we are kicking off a, a new sermon series uh, that is going to be focused on our core values. Now, if you've been around here for a while, you know that for the last couple months, we have been walking through the gospel of John, verse by verse, preaching through, chapter by chapter. Uh, It's not a real creative sermon series. It was just the gospel of John, and that's what we've been looking at as the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, that's the regular rhythm here at City Light. Uh, About 48 of the 52 weeks a year, uh, we are just going to preach through the Bible faithfully the next six, seven, eight, ten verses uh, at a time. Uh, This morning, though, we're going to pause that sermon series. We're going to look at our core values and uh, start to uh, ask the question, Jesus, what have you called your church to believe? Jesus, what have you done for your people? And Jesus, how have you called us to respond to your work in our context? And so the core value series isn't um, just looking at what City Light believes theologically. We want to go to our Bibles and look at what Scripture has called uh, Jesus' church to be about. Additionally, um, if you've been around City Light for a while, this is going to be a great time to kind of refresh uh, and kind of remember what has God called our church to be. It's been a fast four or five years as a church family. We've been growing, planting churches, uh, buying abandoned high V's. I mean, it, it's been a crazy pace. And the temptation for us is that we could drift off um, into kind of secondary issues and miss the primary things that God has called us to. If you're new to the church, this is just going to be a great time for you to jump in because you're going to be able to really catch the heartbeat and the culture and the things that we celebrate as a church through this series. So glad we're jumping in, looking at our core values. Um, At this time, I want to go ahead and before we jump into our text, I want to uh, just give a real brief summary of what this sermon series is going to look like. Uh, Additionally, of kind of where we're going. Here's our basic core values. Each of our core values is represented by a directional arrow. So we've got down, up, in, and out. Let me give a real brief summary before we jump in. Uh, The down arrow is the first core value. This is the idea of the gospel. The gospel is the idea that Jesus Christ came from heaven to earth to seek and save the lost. We call it down because religion tells us to climb our way up. Religion, uh, but the gospel tells us that Jesus Christ came down from heaven to earth because he knew we could never work our way from earth to heaven apart from his grace. That's the gospel. We're gonna look at that today. The second core value is up, which is formation. This is the idea that when you walk with Jesus and you love Jesus, you begin to look like Jesus. And this is the idea that when you start to believe in Jesus, he will shape you from the inside out and start to form you into a new creation. Um, God, you can come to God as you are, but in God's grace, he won't let you stay there. Amen. He will do the good work to shaping you into a new kind of person. The next core value is the directional in, uh, which is community and family. This is whole idea that this thing that we're doing right now, this is not just a spiritual country club. Uh, you are not just a crowd this morning. You are called the church. The church is not just a, a place with some programs. The church is a people who have been bought by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's us. We are a community uh, and a family redeemed by the blood of of Jesus Christ. The last core value is uh, out. You'll see the directional arrows out, and that's the idea of mission. And Jesus has left us with the Great Commission, which simply says to go and make disciples of all nations. 
And uh, church, this means, yes, we are a family, but we are a family that's been called to live on mission. We're not an inward-focused family. We've been invited to be a part of God's redemptive work in the lives of people around us. So those are our core values. We're going to knock those out one at a time this morning. My outline is really, really simple. Uh, I want to show you guys what is the gospel. I want to define the gospel. I want to make sure that there is absolute clarity uh, about what the gospel is historically and what we believe to be true about Jesus Christ. And then I want to show you guys who the gospel is for. Um, I believe the gospel is going to be for the good kids and the bad kids, and that might be new for some of you guys. And then finally, I want to show you guys, uh, the last point I'm going to show is just practically, how do we live out the gospel here at City Light? Like, how does this actually begin to shape and inform the way that we do ministry here at City Light? So that's the outline. That's where we're going. Uh, You can follow along on your programs. Take notes if you want. Point one is this. The gospel is good news. The gospel is not a a new church word. It's not a trendy word. It's a very old word that simply means good news. And the good news is something that has been done or something that has been accomplished that is worth announcing and is worth celebrating. That's what good news is. And um, I want to show you guys how the good news gets defined in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 6. So if you've got your Bibles, please open them up there. Uh, We're going to be in this text for a minute. Here's what we're going to find out. That the Apostle Paul, the pastor, the church planter, uh, he is going to labor in this letter to the church in Corinth uh, to defend the gospel and make sure there's clarity around the gospel. So uh, let's jump in verse 1. It says this. Now it reminds you, brothers, of the gospel. So the issue on the table that we're going to talk about is the gospel. And then let's skip down to verse 3, and I'll show you how he builds this out. He says, For I delivered to you as of first importance... What I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And then he appeared to Cephas, then to the 12, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. City like this is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We as a church are a new church. In many ways, we're only four years old. But we believe the same gospel that was preached some 2,000 years ago to a church in Corinth by a pastor named Paul. We believe the same fundamental message. We're in a new building, in a new community, in a new city. We're a new church with a new name and a new website. But in some ways, we are a very old church in that we proclaim the same gospel of Jesus Christ. So here's what we believe, just to make sure we're absolutely clear about what we believe the gospel is. Let me just run through this passage in 1 Corinthians. We believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. We believe that Jesus is the second member of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We believe that Jesus was present at the creation of the world, and we believe that Jesus came from heaven to earth to seek and save the lost. We believe that Jesus lived the life, church, that you and I could never live. Stay with me. Because every single one of us in this room, Romans is going to say, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God. That means that we have fractured or moved away or disobeyed the very perfection of God's laws. We have missed the mark. We have disobeyed. We've rebelled. And so unlike us, though, Jesus is the innocent one. Jesus is the perfect law keeper. He lived the life that none of us could live. And then we believe that Jesus died the death we deserve. Now, what's that mean? Because of our sin, we're deserving of punishment, which means we are deserving of the wrath of God. And yet what we believe is that Jesus Christ stepped forward. He took on that wrath for us so that we wouldn't have to taste death because he tasted it for us. Jesus Christ, the innocent one, he would allow himself to be poured out for the guilty. 
Jesus Christ, the perfect one, he would give his life for those who are imperfect. Jesus Christ, the one who was faithful in every way, he would pour himself out for those who are faulted and are unfaithful. That's the good news of the Christ. And guess what? That's not the end of the story. Then we believe that Jesus Christ didn't just die on that cross for me and you. We believe that Jesus rose victoriously from that grave, defeating for us our greatest enemy of Satan, sin, and death once and for all. That's what we believe. We believe that Jesus Christ hasn't just risen from the grave, but that he's promised to come back and undo all that is evil in this world. And even right now, we believe that Jesus Christ is being worshiped in heaven and the angels are singing, holy, 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 worthy is the lamb that was slain. Amen? That's what we believe to be true about Jesus Christ. Now, let me tell you why this is unique and why this is incredible and why this is good news. This means that Christianity, church, Christianity is not primarily about something that you do for God. It's primarily about what Jesus Christ has accomplished for you. So often the temptation for us is to turn Christianity into a religious game where we talk about our quiet times and how we're doing in our purity and how we're doing in our walk with God. And all of those things can be good things, but let's not miss that the starting point of our faith is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, the Bible is going to call you to do some things, but it's always in response to what Christ has already done for us. And you guys, I want to let you guys know this is a uniquely Christian message. Religion and the gospel are very different things. Some of you guys are familiar with religion, and maybe you're confusing it for the same message of the gospel. And I just want to take a moment to distinguish the two, because what the gospel is going to tell you is look at what Jesus Christ has done for us. Would you look at his beauty? Would you look at the way he poured himself out? Would you look at his generosity? Would you see what Christ did in his life, death, and resurrection for us? What religion will tell you is look at yourself and try to do it yourself. Very different postures. Here's what happens in every other major world religion. There is a holy God. There is a broken people. And the remedy for people to get to God is a moral ladder. If you want to get in, if you want to belong, then you've got to behave. You've got to climb the ladder. It's up to you to merit it, to earn it, to accomplish it. You've got to stop doing bad things. You've got to start doing all the right things. If you want to do it, it's on you. You've got to perform before you're loved and accepted. But the gospel of Jesus Christ doesn't give you a ladder to climb. It gives you a cross to crawl to. Because what we do is we say, no, 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 I'm not going to look at my work. I'm going to look at the works of another, mainly Jesus Christ. Because Jesus was so gracious that he knew we were never going to get to earth, move from earth to heaven without Jesus coming from heaven to earth to do for us what we could never do for ourselves. Amen? And so the gospel is completely different than every other world religion. Every other world religion says, listen, if you want to be accepted, you have to obey first. The gospel says, listen, you Christian... You're accepted by King Jesus based on his merit, and then out of a spirit of gratitude, you go and you strive to obey. It reverses the order. Gospel will say, look at everything that's been done for you. Religion will say, here's what you've got to do to become a somebody. What a great, unique message that Jesus Christ has written. What a story. Now, here's why I want to press this in, because so often what we do with the gospel is we receive it and we think, great, Chris, this is awesome. On Easter and on Christmas, when we invite all of our non-Christian friends, let's make sure we preach the gospel because we really want to get those neighbors of ours saved. If they could just hear the gospel and believe the gospel, then, then they could have a relationship with God. Save the gospel message for you know, Easter and Christmas. Why are you preaching the gospel right now? And yes, the gospel is the means to salvation. Romans chapter 1, verse 16, it says, um, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the power of God for salvation. For those who believe in it, they would be saved, first the Jew and then the Gentile. Yes, people, Romans chapter 10, they've got to hear, to believe. And how can they hear and believe if somebody doesn't preach the gospel? So yes, the gospel has to be declared. 
And it is the means to salvation. And we do want if you to believe in Jesus Christ if you have not yet done that. And yet, Christians, the gospel of Jesus Christ is for you. Let me tell you guys this. Look at our text. This is not just a made-up new theory. Chapter 15, 1 Corinthians, verse 1, he says, Brothers, let me remind you of the gospel. Who's he talking to? He's not talking to pagan sinners. He's talking to people in a church. He's talking to pastors. He's talking to church leaders. He's talking to me and you. And he's saying, Christian, listen, you're going to stumble and you're going to fall and you are never going to outgrow your need for God's own growing grace in your life. I believe the gospel of Jesus Christ not only helps us make new disciples of Jesus, but I believe it helps us mature existing disciples of Jesus. What you need more than a rule to-do list this week is you need to understand that Jesus Christ still loves you even though you're weak and you're broken. You need to know that Christ's forgiveness is for you this week. You need to know that even though you feel weak, that his spirit has empowered you to fight sin and continue to live for his glory. You need to know that Jesus Christ for you, he's not changing his opinion of you this week because you didn't take enough quiet times. Christians, we are never going to graduate from the posture of needing the gospel. And that's why Paul is preaching to Christians and reminding them of what Jesus Christ has done for them. Now, here, let me tell you this, how this plays out in my life. Um, This is a safe place. Um, So... um, and if it's not, you can judge me and Jesus will know, okay? And so um, it's on you, okay? So, um, so here's what happened this week. Uh, I was a little stressed out. We're doing about 17 things, trying to renovate this building in Westo, raising all this money, getting stuff going. And, and there's just a ton of projects. Additionally, we know it's the fall, and so college kids are going to come back, and we're hiring some people, and you're onboarding, and you're trying to figure out office space. There's a lot happening. And, uh, and so in my head, I don't know if you've gotten to that place where you realize life is chaotic, and so you think, I'll just solve all my problems by thinking about it for five minutes, and then you get more stressed out. Next thing, you're shaking, and you're drinking caffeine that you don't need, and anyways, you're stress eating. It's a bad problem. Okay, so I was in that place of just anxiety, came home from work, sitting on the couch. My son is a five-year-old. He's, his name's Paxton. He's like, hey, Dad, let's go outside. It's a great day. Let's play baseball. My first thought was, I hate baseball. I don't want to play baseball. My second thought is no, okay? And so... Um, so I came to him and said, hey, Bestin, that's a great idea. Why don't you go play? Uh, find somebody, anybody, play in traffic, do something, go anywhere, okay? So that's what I said. <laughs> okay, you guys are all going to be at a different church next week. That's exciting. So, so I do that, right? And I can just see I crush his spirit. Here's my son inviting me into his world. He wants dad to play with him. And instead, here, here's the thing. It's not a sin to tell your kids no. That, that, I'm not saying that that's right. But what I chose in that moment was to sit in my anxiety Instead of leave that stuff with Jesus, because I wasn't going to figure it all out in that moment. Jesus, Jesus got to handle some things. Um, but I chose to sit in that anxiety and, and not trust Jesus with it. And then simultaneously, the consequence or the fruit of that decision was I decided to just not be a good and godly father, right? And so um, in that moment, here's what my heart needed. When you realize that you are a pastor, that you are a father, that you've been walking with Jesus for 15 years, and you still blow it when a five-year-old asks you to play baseball— I didn't need you guys to send me a book on parenting. You know, if you just prayed more for your kids and you drank some water and took a nap, you'll be okay. Like that, That's good advice, but that's not good news. What I needed in that moment to know is that Jesus Christ, the innocent one, died for the guilty. And that none of you fathers um, are perfect, just like me. But the good news is that our Heavenly Father loves us based on what His Son, Jesus Christ, did for us. And so the gospel can do a great work in our hearts and give us freedom and not shame and condemnation. Amen? So um, 
So some of you guys are like, okay, that's cool, Chris, but I've been around for a while. You guys seem to talk about Jesus a lot here. When are we going to move on to the deeper things of the Bible? I just can't wait to move past the gospel and like get into something really intense. Like when are we going to graduate from the shallow end of the kiddie pool and get into something, the deeper waters of God's word? Well, first of all, never. So, um, oh my gosh, there's going to be so many empty seats next week. Um, so never, because here's why, because the gospel of salvation, the gospel has to be preached, right? So that sinners would repent and come to know Christ. Additionally, I believe that the gospel is the thing your heart needs. You don't need a bunch of rules. That's going to make you weird. You're going to either think you're awesome. Look at me. I'm just killing the game. Or you're going to get really discouraged because you blew it just like me this week. You need the gospel of Jesus Christ every week. So we're not going to move on past the gospel. Because um, this is my hope for our church is that we would never stop being enamored with the story that God has written and the story that he has done. Because this is the thing. God authored this story. God has pursued us. God has initiated. And has that story not changed our story? Has not knowing that we were first loved helped us to love other people? Has not God reminding us that we're forgiven, not changed and transformed and helped us forgive those who have sinned against us? This is the story that has changed our story. And so I just never want to graduate from it. Amen? And if we do, you should just fire me. Amen. Okay. Okay, so uh, that is the gospel. Thank you for the shout-out and love, the three charismatic people in here. That was helpful. Um, I receive that spirit. I receive it. Um, and so uh, next I want to show you guys point two. I think we've understood what the gospel is. I want to point you guys to what the, who the gospel is for. I believe the gospel is for the good and the bad. I believe that the gospel is for the rule keepers and the, uh, the rule breakers, for the religious and for the irreligious. And so let me explain this. I think we tend to think of humanity in terms of a spectrum of good to bad. So you've got like Gavin Johnson. He knows a whole bunch of verses in the Old Testament and his hair is amazing. Okay. And then you've got Chris and sometimes he cusses on stage. Like we, we think about this spectrum. Okay. And so uh, there's the good and there's the bad. And this is the same game we played in high school, right? Like there's the, there's the good kids, right? They listen to K-Love in their mom's minivan as they go to school. And then they go to youth group and they always stuck at Chick-fil-A because it's the Christian chicken, right? Like that's <laughs> the thing. And you got the bad kids like me and then the anthem to their life is sure to get low, 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 low. And they go to Raising Cane's and you're like, that's not Christian chicken. You can't do that, right? So like there's this whole game we play. Do we not play this game? Do we not play the game? Oh, you got a bumper sticker with a little fish on it. Christian, good kid, you know? You got a naughty by nature tattoo, problem, okay? So, um, so we play this game. We play this game. We put people in good kid camps and bad kid camps. And here's the issue. Jesus Christ comes and he says, I got something to say to both of you. We oftentimes think that the drunk frat kid, he needs Jesus, but the type A honor roll student, no, nah, he's probably good with God. But the gospel is gonna show us and gonna warn us that the gospel has to say something to both. To those who are in rebellion, he's going to call them to repent from that and to find life in the person and work of Jesus Christ. But he's also going to show them this amazing hope that is true of the gospel, that sinners can be saved by grace. And then he's going to what he's going to do. He's going to humble those who think they're awesome and show them that they need the gospel just as much as anybody else. Let me show you guys this. Luke 18, Luke 18, verses 10 through 14. Jesus tells this story about the good and the bad and their equal need for the gospel. Here's the prayer, the parable. It says, two men went up to the temple one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee standing by himself prayed thus, God, I thank you. I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. 
But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his chest saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. But, uh, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. First part of this uh, parable, you see the two characters. Jesus introduces both a tax collector and a Pharisee. This is quintessentially the good kid versus the bad kid theology. Uh, the Pharisee was like the pastor, the religious leader. Uh, he was the type A person. Um, then you've got the tax collector. And what was the tax collector? He was the notorious sinner. He was the rebel. He was the one who didn't listen to Caleb regularly. That's who this guy is. And yet the first person that Jesus illustrates is he's going to talk to us about the Pharisee. And he's gonna, if, if you look at this prayer, the prayer is twofold. There's one theme. Look at how awesome I am. I'm doing all the right things. I'm giving my money. I'm tithing. Uh, I'm generous. I'm self-disciplined. I'm praying. I'm fasting. God, I'm checking all the boxes. And then the second part of the prayer is... Um, and I'm not doing all the bad things that bad people do, okay? And so I don't drink. I don't listen to that station. I don't stop at Raisin Cane's. Like, I'm over here. I don't do the things those people do. And so what is he doing? This is the voice of religion. Religion, you're going to get your identity, not by looking at a holy God, but you're going to get your identity and your hope by saying, I'm better than somebody else. Yeah, my uncle's crazy and he's a drunk, but I'm not as bad as him. So, Boom. I got a one-up on him. We're going to play this comparison game. We're going to try to refer to worth and value in that. That's what religion looks like. And so if you're prone to following the rules, here's the very heartbeat of a Pharisee. Um, it, what they're trying to do is they're not looking at the character of God, but they're looking at themselves and they're saying, I'm good. I'm good enough. I should be loved because I'm awesome. I'm checking the boxes. I'm better than other people. And so I feel superior toward them, right? And so I've earned or warranted God's love and affection. It's not grace, it's by my work. So he's keeping track of his spiritual resume, and he's got it, and he's ready to talk about it. Now, um, this is the hard part about this. When I was looking at this text this very week, I was thinking about my three kids, because I have three little kids, and when I think about what do I want to be true of them when they're 18, 19, 20, 25, 30, 35, you know what I want them to look like? Externally, I want them to look just like this guy. Like, I don't want them to have to go through the stuff that I went through so I could find Jesus Christ. I want them to know their Bibles. I want them to have a prayer life. I want them to be generous to the things of the God. I want them to be self-disciplined. I want them to even be active in a local church. But the warning that Jesus gives us is you can obey all the rules, check all the boxes, be the somebody. And yet you can have no love and affection for Jesus Christ. He never mentions his love for Jesus here, not one time. What a warning to us. Now, let me just, can I just preach the gospel to my brothers and sisters in Christ in here who are bent towards perfectionism, bent towards religion, maybe grew up in the church. Let me just press this. He ends this thing by saying, um, he, God will humble those who exalt themselves. He will exalt those who humble themselves. So listen, the gospel will demand that you lay down your busted resume of righteousness. You're going to have to humble yourself. And here's what this humility looks like. It, it looks like you stop looking at other people and saying, I'm better than them. Look at a holy and righteous God. Look at his standard that he demands. He doesn't demand good or religiously active. He demands perfection to his law. Romans is going to say you all fall short. And so what humility looks like is Jesus. I've tried my very best, but I've come up short. I need the righteousness of another, not my own. And what a beautiful thing when you can be free from trying to say, God, look at my goodness, and you can just get enamored with his. Amen? 
Now, here's why this is such good news for you guys. Because I know some brothers and sisters that are kind of bent this way. And oftentimes it's about earning really good things. But when you humble yourself, in that moment, you receive the full righteousness of Jesus Christ. So his life that was perfect, his prayer life, his obedience to the the father that was perfect and pure, his love for broken people, all of that was given to you when you came to the cross of Jesus Christ. So Christian, if you're in this place, would you not wake up thinking, I got to prove something to God today. I got to show him that I'm worthy of his love and affection. You've got all of that because you've been hidden in the, in the grace of Jesus Christ. You ain't got nobody to impress, amen? How freeing is that for you? You don't have to live on this, did I check the box this week kind of stuff. No, Jesus checked all the boxes and it's yours, amen? Now, let me, let me preach some hope to those who are on the other end. There's the tax collector. Uh, he's the dude who spent some time in timeout or uh, the principal's office. He's the dude who, like me, kind of sees the, the traffic rules as, as soft suggestions, not hard lines, okay? So could be 45, could be 65, open for interpretation, okay? So, so right? There's some of you guys that are like, oh, I'm going to learn the hard way, me, okay? So if you're like me, you're like the text collector, maybe you got a past that's got some brokenness, some addiction, some shame, all of those things. This is why the gospel of Jesus Christ brings hope to you because he looks at this tax collector and look at his beautiful prayer. He says, I'm sinful. Now that's a posture. He's low before the Lord. He's beating his chest. His posture physically represents his posture internally. He's saying, I'm broken. Notice he's not blaming it on mom and dad. He's not blaming it on the church you grew up. He's not blaming it on the guys down the street. He's not blaming it on... He's taking full responsibility saying, I'm the problem. I've rebelled against my creator. And then what does he do? He doesn't defend his character. He appeals to the character of God. God, would you be merciful to me? Which means, would you treat me in ways that I don't deserve? What I deserve is your wrath, but would you give me what I don't deserve? Would you give me your grace, your love, your forgiveness? Would you adopt me into your family, not because I'm worthy, but because I'm unlovable, but yet you are a good, beautiful, perfect God? That's what he's asking. Is that not awesome? And so for some of you guys here today, you guys have been in that place where you have been in before the Lord, you've taken the shower, you've tried to clean yourself up, you've, you've told yourself you're going to get better, and then you finally hit rock bottom and you said, God, would you have mercy on me? And the answer is yes. Listen, all of us in this room, all of us have a past. And for me personally, there's a couple things in my past that seem to haunt me. The voice of condemnation comes up and it says, how could you? You guys heard that voice? It's a voice that accuses you. But you know the gospel of Jesus Christ, Romans 8, 1 says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That voice has been silenced once and for all by the cross of Jesus Christ, his death, life, and resurrection. Amen? That is great news. The hope for all of us in this room is not our past. It's the past that Jesus Christ came 2,000 years ago and accomplished for us what we could never accomplish for ourselves. That's awesome. Okay? That's good news. Now, um, I want to uh, continue to... Uh, I want to continue to tell you guys about how this story isn't just gospel 101 theology. Uh, This story has been played out in our church. And uh, and so I want to tell two stories, both how the gospel has been landing on bad people and landing on good people. And I hope you guys find encouragement because this is the story that God wrote in the New Testament is the story that he's continuing writing in the people in our church. So let me tell you about my friend named Bobby. Uh, Bobby is my neighbor. I think I've told you guys this story before, but I love this story because this is the quintessential bad guy. I showed up to Bobby in the neighborhood, Weston Hills, moved in. Uh, first time I ever met Bobby, he says, what do you do? And I said, I'm a pastor. He says, ah, oh, could be worse. Like, I, terrorists? I don't know. What's worse? I, a pastor's on the bad list? Like, I, when did that happen? I didn't know. Like, anyway, so it could be worse. Now, here's what I got to know. Bobby and I became friends. 
And so I asked Bobby, what's your story? And his story is, I'm from North O. Uh, I'm living with my girlfriend. Um, got into some bar fights. I have a past of addiction. I've got some broken relationships. Most of it is my fault. <laughs> so here's Bobby, okay? And, and, and I started to talk to Bobby because Bobby believed that if there was a God, surely he's not interested in a person like me. Surely. He's interested in somebody else, but he's not interested in somebody like me. I started telling him, no, Jesus Christ is very interested in people just like you. He's interested in me, former addict, broken, rebellious in every way. Jesus Christ has come to seek and save me. His grace is sufficient for you. He loves, he said, I came not for the healthy, but for the sick. Bobby, Jesus' love is sufficient for you. Would you trust him? He trusted in Jesus Christ, got baptized two years ago at our summer baptism celebration. And uh, I get to live next to Bobby. Bobby became a foster parent. Uh, took in a little girl that was born with methamphetamines in her system and has loved her like Jesus Christ would love her through a storm over the last year. He became this really weird guy who's this blue-collar dude in the city of Omaha filling potholes. And what is he doing? Telling all of his buddies that Jesus Christ loves sinners. That's awesome. And Bobby didn't move from bad to good. He moved from death to life because of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Um, Okay, so then there's the story of my friend. Uh, I've got another friend who just got baptized. She's a stay-at-home mom, Okay. Uh, lives in the suburbs, uh, was raised in a Christian home, went to a Christian college, married a Christian guy. Uh, She's checking most of the boxes. And yet she got baptized in front of 2,500 people last weekend. Why? Because she humbled herself and realized, although she's good compared to maybe somebody else, she's still lacking. She needed a savior bigger than herself. And so she humbled herself before all, trusted in Jesus Christ and got baptized. Isn't that not awesome? I love to hear that story. You can clap for that stuff. We should celebrate that stuff. Now, um, so City Light, we always want to just say the gospel is not just for people out there. It's for us. It's for the good and for the bad. It's not just for the non-Christians. It's for the new Christian and the maturing Christian. We believe this is not just uh, right theological belief, but we believe that Jesus Christ is still calling people out of empty religion and out of destructive rebellion. And so I want to move on to point three. Point three is this, that the gospel shapes all that we do. The gospel should shape all that we do. Listen, this message can't be just something that we slap on our statement of faith or put on our website or tweet every once in a while. This gospel theology is the story that God has authored. It's the story that has changed our story. And so it's got to then impact the way that we do ministry here at City Light. And so here's how this gets played out every single week here at City Light. Um, I've talked a little bit about this, um, but when we preach, when we gather in this room, we're going to open up the Bible and we're going to talk to you guys about Jesus. We will not give you moralistic sermons. Moralistic sermons sound like this. Hey, yeah, you're broken. Yeah, you have a problem. Here's the three kingdom principles that if you apply to your life, your marriage will get better. Your kids will turn out awesome. And God got it. If you just try hard enough, you're going to be awesome. If you... If I really believed that you could do that, I would probably preach like that, but I don't believe that you can change yourself because if you, if you could have changed yourself, you already would, right? And so we're not going to give you moralistic, principle-based sermons. Instead, we're going to point you to the person and work of Jesus Christ. Now, this is called gospel-centered preaching, okay? And what gospel-centered preaching is, is not new, it's not trendy. We're gospel-centered in our preaching because we think the Bible is gospel-centered, do you guys know that the gospel doesn't start being written in the book of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John? We don't believe that the Bible is a collection of many stories with many heroes to emulate. We believe it's, a, it's one big story with one hero, and his name's King Jesus. And let me explain this. All the way back in Genesis, we see that God created the world. He made us in his image. 
and then we're living in perfect relationship with him. We sin, we disobey. Relationship between creator and creation is broken. And then and what happens? Genesis chapter 3. There's a savior that would be promised to us. That there would be one who would come to defeat our enemies once and for all. That there would be a savior that would come and save the day. God doesn't look at us in our sinful humanity and say, you know what? I've got some rules for you, and you're going to be able to figure it out on your own. He says, no, I'm promising you a Savior that will come and undo all the evil that you have ushered into this world. That's the promise. And then we see all of these promises in the Old Testament. We see pictures of Jesus. We see prophecy about Jesus. We see this anticipation of Jesus. And then Jesus comes. The Word becomes flesh. John the Baptist sees Jesus as, behold, the Lamb of God who has come. So all of a sudden, then you see Jesus' life, death, resurrection. Then Jesus leads his church by his spirit. And then what happens in Revelation? He promises that he will come back once and for all as a victorious, conquering king to undo all of the evil that we've created, to wipe away every tear. And it says, even now, Jesus Christ is being worshipped. Holy, 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 worthy is the lamb that was slain. So all of the scriptures from Genesis to Revelation, one story Jesus Christ is the Son of God. He's come to seek and save. Amen? Now, so that's why we're going to do this. So every week we believe if we're in the Old Testament, we're going to point you to Jesus. If it's about Jesus, we're going to talk to you about Jesus. If it's, it's looking back at Jesus, we're going to do that. So at City Light, you're going to hear from different preachers. You're going to look at different books of the Bible, and yet you're going to hear good news every single week. Um, additionally, this place is not the only place we want to talk about Jesus. One of the things that just like... Um, I've been studying, looking at, I was in college ministry before I helped plant this church with Gavin, is this that uh, there is an alarming rate of people moving into college and young adulthood and just walking away from their faith. And I I say their faith because what I want to make absolutely sure doesn't happen at City Light is that we don't just create student ministries, kids' ministries, that just settle for entertaining your kids, teaching them some moral rules, and helping them find some uh, some friends that are just good kids. You're sending them into a battle zone without the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they will get destroyed. So here at City Light, let me just let you guys know, City Light Kids is not an arena where we babysit your kids. We entertain them for an hour so you can eat a donut and drink some coffee and have your Jesus time. No, City Light Kids is a time where we're not going to give your kids some spiritual pep talks. Hey, little Timmy, guess what? We're going to talk about David and John or David and Goliath today. You know the story of David and Goliath? There's David, this little shepherd boy, and then there's Goliath, the big, crazy CrossFit dude who mocked God. He had a man beard with oils in it, right? It was the small versus the strong. And you know the story. He believed God, and he threw his little rock up there, and he defeated his giant. So you know what? Little Timmy, if you just believe God this week, you're going to conquer your fears and slay your giants. Go get them, buddy. That's a spiritual pep talk. Here's what the gospel sounds like. Listen, um, there is a savior. There is a hero to the story. His name is Jesus Christ. He's the greater David that came to defeat our greater Goliath, Satan, sin, and death. So this is a picture of a hero, but it points us into anticipation to the person and work of Jesus Christ. You can know him, love him, and trust him. He is the one that has done for you what you can never do for yourself. You see the difference? And so in every arena, whether it's in our youth group, high school, junior high ministries, college ministries, we want our students and young people to be enamored with the person and work of Jesus Christ, not just playing religious games, trying to hang out with the religious cool kids. Is that all right? Again, half of you guys are going somewhere else. It's okay. Um, 
Um, one of the ways this plays itself out is in city groups. Uh, I've been in a lot of city groups. I'm in a city group right now. And one of the amazing things that happens in the gospel culture is that people free, feel the freedom to be weak. We stop pretending we got it all together. We can actually, one of the things we all have in common is that we're jacked up and need Jesus. So can we just lay that foundation right now? And so when people actually start to confess sin, can I just invite you into this? Please, if you are in community, if you have one Christian friend and they have the courage to come clean and say, I've struggled with lust, I've got doubts, my marriage is busted, I don't even like my kids. You better pray for somebody. Um, So if they're in that place, here's the temptation. It's going to hang in the air, and your natural thing is going to be saying, I just want to help them, and so you want to give them good advice. Dr. Phil gives good advice. Oprah gives good advice. Jesus Christ gives good news. And so what I want you to not do is say, you know what you really just need is I've got a book for you. I've got a DVD set. You know what? If you just uh, you pray in your car before you walk in the door, you know, that will just change your life, and you'll have the patience you need. Maybe. Uh, but before we get there to, like, fix-it mode, can we talk about Jesus? They need to say, yes, that's sin, but would you look at the personal work of Jesus Christ? Again, the one who's done for you what you couldn't do for yourself. Yes, you're forgiven. You're guilty, and you feel guilt and shame. You feel brokenness and disappointment, but would you look to the personal work of Jesus Christ? Would we turn people not just to methods and tricks and principles, but to the personal work of Jesus Christ? Amen? Uh, And then a couple things. I just want to land here that at City Light, we're going to regularly not just preach the gospel, but we want to put the gospel on display, and we do that through two sacraments. These are not empty religious traditions. Uh, These are not just religious acts that we do. So we do this through baptism, and we do this through communion. Baptism, here's what this is. Last week when we baptized like 60 people, do you guys remember this? 80, some people, and then 60 from our church, a lot of people got baptized, okay? And like, if you're an outsider, and you walk up into the park, and you were there to buy some asparagus at the farmer's market, and you're like, why are so many people getting into horse tanks voluntarily? It wasn't even that hot out. Like, there was no need for it, Okay. And uh, here's why, because there, in uh, Romans chapter 6, there's this imagery that's described, and we baptize people as a declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When people go down, it's representing that Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He went into that grave, and when we raise them up, it's imagery that says that Jesus Christ is alive. He's still alive. He conquered death for us. And he's ushered us into a newness of life. That person's story has been changed by the work of Jesus Christ. That's what's happening. So we preach the gospel, and then we declare the gospel through our actions, again, through communion. This isn't what we just do after I get done preaching and we get done singing. We need something to do. And so we just say, hey, let's bust up some bread. This is in remembrance of what Jesus Christ has done for us, right? That his body was broken, that he took on the wrath so we wouldn't have to, that he tasted death so we could have eternal life, that he took on rejection so that we could be accepted, that he laid down his life so we could have the hope of eternity. That's what we celebrate, that his blood was shed. And so um, at communion, no one comes forward during communion thinking, thank God for what I did for you this week. I am, whoo, I'm varsity. <laughs> kind of lucky to have me on the team, King Jesus. That's horrible. Don't do that. What we do... What we do is we, we look back and remember what Christ has done for us, right? During communion, you come forward with nothing to offer but only something to receive, and that is the picture of the gospel. You come to the cross, not with a resume, but with a need. Sins to be forgiven, and that's what you receive, the grace of Jesus Christ. And so um, let me finish with this. Uh, we're going to welcome the band. If you're helping with communion, go ahead and go forward. We're going to take communion in just a moment. Um, uh, it, but here's where I want to land. Um, 
One, the gospel of Jesus Christ is good news for you and me. I want you guys to not just know it theoretically, but I want you guys to know that the gospel is good for you this week. If you have blown it in your relationship, if you have been trying to play church games, if, if you've fallen and you have no affection for Jesus Christ, would you allow that the gospel is sufficient for you? This week, let's not look at our moral resume, the checklist, did I do it perfectly? Let's turn our focus to the perfect righteousness that is ours in Jesus Christ. He's the hero of the story. He's the Savior. He's not just our example. He is our King, our Savior, our Lord. What a gift we've received in Jesus Christ. Christian, you are forgiven and you are loved. You've been adopted in the family of God. You've been given his Holy Spirit. The gospel is good news for us. Amen. So let me pray. We'll take communion. When you're ready to take communion, uh, just go to the nearest station. We've got a special station for you in the back. If you've got food allergies, uh, there's a table for you. Additionally, we'll have a team of people that are ready to pray for you if you want to do that today. Let me pray, and we'll take communion. Jesus, we want to say thank you. In a personal way, all of us in this room uh, that know you in a, in a real way, God, we're not a product of our earning, of our pushing, of our, of our trying. We're a product of your work. Jesus, that you would love us enough not to let us sit in our sin or hang out in empty, dead religion, but that you loved us enough to come and move from heaven to earth, that you left your throne, you left your comfort, you put on flesh, you walked around the broken, you gave your life for people who rebelled against you. God, you are the hero of our story. King Jesus, in a personal way, thank you for your grace that you've shown me, for your patience, for your kindness, for the way that your spirit has encouraged and empowered God, I pray for this church, City Light Church, would we never move on past the gospel? Would the name of Jesus Christ always be exalted and lifted up? Would we not get caught up in all of the things that we, we think we've got to do for you, but would we be enamored always with what you've accomplished for us? God, it's not just a story that we keep on a theological page. It's the story that's changed our hearts, changed our lives, that's changed our eternity. It's our hope. So God, we love you. Protect us, God, from empty religion, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen, amen.